We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 131. Scott, we just witnessed one of the longest, most towering home runs by Aaron Judge at Yankee Stadium. We're actually recording this episode during Wednesday night's game, but it's 8-1 at this point, so we figured it's safe to come on and record. Pretty confident that the Yankees can hang on to this one. Yes. You know, we've been talking about the potential of Aaron Judge hitting a ball out of Yankee Stadium. And for a second, I thought it was going to happen on that home run. Because, first of all, I don't think I've ever seen a ball go so high. So high. 122 and, feet. Yeah, oh, really? I didn't hear the number. Statcast. And yeah, Statcast showed it. The fact that it was hit that high and still got as far as it did, Yeah. 100% makes me believe that this dude's hitting it out of the stadium. There's just no <laughs> doubt about it. And it's cold tonight, cold, rainy weather in the Bronx. You imagine getting it like a 98 degrees, humid August afternoon. That ball's going to go even farther. 
And if I remember correctly, it looked like it was an off-speed pitch too. So yeah, he had that little, working against him. A little hanging you know, slider. He gets a he gets a you know mid to high nineties fastball that he gets all of. Goodbye. It's going out of the stadium. It's gonna happen. It's it's almost unfair how strong he is because every one of his home runs, even the ones that don't go very as far, the exit velocity is still five miles an hour higher than the average exit velocity for a home run. It's it's almost unfair how big he is and how strong he is. Yeah, I mean the the strength is one thing, but the leverage from the size of him, I mean, you just. That's the only reason Chris Carter had home runs was because of that leverage. God. There's no other skill behind do it. Do not he just kill throws my, a bat at it. <laughs> do not kill my buzz. But when you uh, actually have skill judge with Chris when you Carter. actually have some skill and you can go out and you can, you know, put together a real at bat and look like a major league baseball player and then also have that leverage and that power. I mean, the the sky is the limit, no pun intended, but my God, <laughs> this guy has all world ability. It's crazy. Even his soft line drives, like the one in his first at-bat from Wednesday, he kind of just punched the ball to right field, and it was a missile. Yeah, he's fun to watch. Every he's, so he's much has fun. become must-see TV every single time he's up, there's no doubt. Last week, our, our uh, Thursday episode was talking about judgment bombs, and a week later, nothing's changed, just more home runs. Just more bombs, more judgment bombs. I, the amount of judgment day uh, graphics that I've made and Aaron judge images that I've edited to put on social media over the past two weeks has got to be a record in Bronx pinstripes history because there's been a lot. He's been practically taking over my Photoshop. Also good call, not giving away a shirt every time he hits a home run because you'd go bankrupt. I'm pretty glad I, I hesitated <laughs> on that one. Yeah. Um, some more details have come together for the June 10th event why don't we? Uh, why don't you give those right now? Okay, so as we talked about on Monday, the event is pretty much set as far as what it's going to be. It's June 10th, Yankees versus the Orioles. We have a couple hundred tickets ready to go, ready for for Yankees fans to be to be uh, screaming loud, and we're doing a pregame party. The party will be at Billy's from four to six. It is going to be sponsored by the Bronx Brewery and specifically their Bronx Banner Ale, which is delicious. Very, very tasty. And the uh, the event will also have a custom T-shirt that I am in the middle of designing right now. So basically one ticket price, you're getting the Yankees-Orioles game. You're getting a pregame party at Billy's from 4 to 6 with kegs of beer from the Bronx Brewery. And you're getting a custom game shirt and you get the entire experience. We all get to sit together and tickets are going on sale this Friday. I think it's important. This is a slight important detail you left out. Those kegs of beer are included with your ticket. So you don't have to pay for beer if you want to drink the, drink the banner ale at Billy's. That's huge. The value of this package is unbelievable. There has never been a value of any package ever of anything sold more than this value that we are putting together. You are you are going to be astonished when we tell you what the price is. It's not 100% yet, so I'm not telling you, but I'm telling you right now that if you look at the retail value of the tickets we have, the price that we're selling this event ticket is less than the actual ticket itself. Insane, insane pricing, insane value. We want you guys to have a blast. We want this to be a huge event, so we are uh, we're pricing it as such. 
But um, get ready. Friday is payday. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Whoever. Yankee fans only. Don't even try to get Orioles fans in here. I don't care who they are. Price for them is higher. The price for them is way higher. I got to vet them somehow with with some kind of a, like, I am not a robot. You know, the I am not a robot check mark when you fill out (laughs) something. I got to figure something out for... To make sure that we're Yankees fans. But yeah, that's that's what's going on. Get ready for it. And um, Friday, Friday, they, they will go on sale at some point, probably like 10 or 11 in the morning. On the website. They'll be on our website, yeah. Be on the website. The actual the actual event page will be on the Fan Shop website, but we will link to it from BronxPinstripes.com and every single social media that we, that we are on. Yeah, and tell every Yankees fan you can think of that you think would have fun at this event to to get a ticket I know a lot of people don't uh, that might live outside of the New York area, uh, maybe only come into the stadium for one one weekend a year. This is definitely the weekend to do it because of, of this event that we're throwing. We got we got people talking about coming in from New Orleans. We got people talking in from Tampa. We have we got an email from our friend in the south of France who we've, <laughs> who we have spoken with before. Who he and his Yankee buddy from London are have already booked flights, have already reservations in New York, and they're coming across the pond ready to to party at this game. So it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it, and I really want this uh, this first event to 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 be to be massive and to be a blast. So tell your friends, let's do it. Joe's McFly is bringing some Dominican drums. It's gonna be off the charts. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I think some new listeners are probably wondering about our friends over in the south of France. Uh, remember, they did invite us to come and stay at their villa. Yes, and have a, a pool party. Yes, <laughs> and and then we got friends of this of the uh, the the guy who listens in Nice vetting him, saying yes, this is legit. He's a good dude. He throws a good party, and he's a Yankee fan. So I love it. That's all I need. And this is how we get catfish, by the way. Yeah, I actually didn't even need the vet. I'll go over there anyway. Let's let's see what happens. <laughs> Okay, uh, please rate and review the podcast in iTunes. You guys have been coming through on the reviews, so keep it up, keep going with that, and we thank you very much for giving us a five-star review. We just said the Judgment Bombs have been amazing. They get... The thing that is most exciting about them, I mean, you're we're on Twitter during the games. Twitter, all Yankee fans go wild. Tonight, when he hit that moonshot... The bench went wild. I saw Rich tweet that it was like when NBA players on the bench go buck when somebody throws down a huge dunk. It's just like this team is so exciting and so much fun. They're having fun. It's translating to the fans. Fans are buying in. It's just such night and day from last year, which had no life. And now we have all of the life. And it's amazing. Your boy Chase Headley was going nuts in the dugout. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I, I don't. You really have to be be starting to turn and and, and pull some kind of a one eighty on this guy because uh, not not just for what he's doing on the field, but he actually is showing some personality. You can tell that there's a leadership quality with him. You can tell that the younger players gravitate towards him. It's it's pretty apparent, and he's all in with these young guys, and it's very obvious when you're watching just the way that they interact too. He's becoming one of their favorite guys. Dare I say, Chase Headley might be here for a while. Yeah, well, he's at least getting himself on the team for next year. It was funny. My dad texted me after he hit, after Headley hit the home run in the first inning on Wednesday. My dad texted me, is it a contract year for Headley? Because he was assuming that's why he's playing so well. And I said, no. And he was just utterly baffled and confused. Could not understand what was going on with Chase Headley. No one can understand it. No one's a, No one can explain Chase Headley. All I have to say is 
whatever he did this offseason, now I'm not saying he did anything other than just good hard working out in the gym. And he looks the same. BP. And video, don't forget the video. Video of 2012 he, yeah, uh, season, listening to the Yankees podcast, listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show to get some motivation. Whatever he did, it worked. It's 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 happening. It's all happening. He's. I just saw someone tweet out at us that uh, I think it was Brotron, who's a a listener of the show, was uh, tweeted us about the on base percentage. He, it's over five hundred. It's Makes like no it was sense. like it was like five forty something, leading the major leagues in on base percentage. Chase yeah. Headley. So it's it's one of those things. It's like, well, it's or it's only three weeks in the season, so you can't really look at stats. But when your on base percentage is over five hundred, that's it doesn't matter how early it is. That's just ridiculous. Well, we were certainly looking at stats last year, three weeks into it, when we were looking at Chase Headley. So Complete it's opposite. only fair. It's only fair to go the other way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things. So I was actually starting to write about this for Friday. The Yankees last April were terrible. They were, I think, their record was eight and fourteen, and they've already surpassed eight wins. This is going to be their tenth win if they hold on to this game Wednesday, and we still have a week and a half to play in April. So. I remember we didn't really overreact in a negative way last April, but I feel like we're kind of getting really high on this team right now. So should we maybe be a little bit more tempered? No, because there was no light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> there was no light at the end of the tunnel then. That, no, well, that was... Hold on, because the team, say what you want about that team last year, and we know they sucked now, but at the time in April we were saying, well, they were in the playoffs last year. Yes, but the thing is, is... When you're looking at at the roster again, last year it's a totally different. The roster has been completely made over with different people and and younger guys. And right now, granted, Chase Headley is not one of the younger guys, but we're seeing a lot of the younger guys play you you know massive roles. I mean, granted, Sanchez is is hurt and and Didi is hurt, but they're both coming back, and we know they're coming back, and we know what they are. They're very very good young players. Judge is crushing it. Bird is starting to come back again. I mean, this is it's a totally different outlook when you're looking at the names on on this team compared to what it was last year. Last year we were just waiting for these guys to leave. Hey, you convinced me. You didn't really need to say much to convince me. I was just posing the question to play devil's advocate. My goodness. I'm getting fired up over here. This is just having this game on in the background is he's hitting 404 Chase Headley. I'm looking at his numbers right now. 404. It's, we were speaking about Judge, and another thing, I mean, the home runs are amazing. They're amazing to watch, and the extra base hits. He got robbed of a home run, which we did, we talked about, yeah, because we recorded after Sunday. He got robbed of a home run on replay, so he actually should have six home runs at this point. But do you remember Monday in that inning in which Holiday hit an absolute blast that uh, with two outs, Judge beat out an infield single for an RBI? So not only can he hit one to the moon, but he can beat out an infield single. Yeah, and that was the uh, first of all. That's just impressive. The guy's an athlete. Uh, he's six seven, two eighty, or whatever it is, two seventy, two eighty, and he can fly it on the line. He plays good defense. He's got Derek Jeter poise when when a camera's in his face. I mean, that was the that is interview being thrown around liberally now. Yes. Oh yeah, that was the uh, <laughs> when I saw that that interview, I had to put it on Instagram. And, uh, you know, we, we've written articles about it. It's it's very true. I mean, if you watch the mannerisms, the, the, it's true. I mean, it's like it's like he went to the Derek Jeter school of how to talk to reporters. I mean, that's uh, yes. Interview wise, he is very reminiscent of Derek Jeter. That's all I'm saying. They're no they're nothing like each other as far as players go. Well, obviously on the field, <laughs> nothing like each other. 
Except for the beating out infield singles and running hard on every play. True that. Both of them do that. Yeah, and I feel Can't. like as far as his weight goes, it, it changes every time someone says it. It's 270, 275, 280. I think Michael K said 282 tonight. So it's 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 constantly changing. Yeah, 280 sounds good. I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, that's a nice round number. The uh, another, I mean, there's been so many good things with the team. It, it's hard to pinpoint. I mean, to me, Judge stands out as the most exciting. But the reason this team has been succeeding is their starting pitching. Because after the first turn through the rotation, when they were all terrible, the starters have been going deep into games, giving the bullpen a rest. It's funny. I mean, Tanaka has pitched pretty good against Chicago tonight, but he you could argue he's been the worst starting pitcher of the bunch. I mean, his first two starts, the, especially the first one, the second one was was not Tanaka-like. It was very you know inconsistent. And when you're looking at what happened tonight, it's it's pretty typical what of what Tanaka does in the sense of of managing the game, making sure he goes deep, has some clean innings, uh, you know, gets himself into a little bit of trouble, then gets himself out of trouble. It's it's a very Tanaka like start. So hopefully this is where he you know he's he's come back and I don't know what was going on with him earlier whether it was fatigue or or whatever it was. Uh, it, it seems like he's right at the ship and yeah they I mean there's I guess is there momentum in a starting staff. They all oh, go out. Certainly. They all go out and, and watch each other in the warmups. Um, I thought that was new this year. Apparently, they did it last year. Rich was telling me uh, that they did it last year. I've forgotten about that. But um, I love that. I love the. I love the camaraderie. I love the fact that they're all together and they're all. You know, it seems like this team. We spoke about it last week or on Monday about them gelling, and it's not just the position players. It's. It seems like it's all aspects, and they're all gelling together. It's. It's. It's fun to watch, and it's exciting for. For the uh, pitching staff, especially as, as the biggest Achilles heel by far this year of what we thought was going to be uh, for this team. I think they definitely can feed off each other. I remember I listened to an interview with Tom Glavin, and he said that they, Glavin, Maddox, and Smoltz would all have competitions with one another and feed off one another. If one guy went out there and pitched a complete game, the next guy would want to go out there and pitch a complete game too. It was a, a healthy competition. So I think as much as a lineup can feed off one another within the game, Starters can feed off one another from from day to day. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, they're obviously talking about approaches and what they're doing. And you're right. There, there's got to be some kind of a competition there. Nobody wants to be the worst starter in the in the rotation, right? Everybody wants to beat the guy before them or beat the guy that's coming out after them. So, yeah, I, I like it. It's, it. All this competition is extremely good thing for the team. The As far as the rotation goes, we forgot to mention this at the start, but we actually have Shane Hennigan. He's a, the Rail Riders beat writer on. Uh, later in this episode, we kind of get an update on some of the younger guys because we talked about a lot of the young players so much in spring, and we haven't really talked about them since spring has ended. So it was nice to get an update from him. But he was talking, we talked with him about Jordan Montgomery. Al Leiter was glowing about Montgomery in his start against the White Sox. I know he, he gave up that that uh, it was a three run homer right in the in the seventh inning right, that sort yeah. of ruined his stat line. But I don't think his stat line is indicative of how well he pitched for six innings. He shut them down. Yeah, he pitched really well. He showed a lot of what we saw, you know, on his first start. And and the guy he mixes it up. He's got four pitches. That over the top delivery is deceptive as a lefty. You know. I, when we were talking about him the first time and we mentioned how uh, lighter, whomever it was, I think it was lighter was talking about that. He's, you know, a similar, a similar style to Mike Mussina only as a lefty where it's over the top and it's, it's uh, it's tough for the the batter to pick up. So, 
And not many lefties. If you think about lefties when they pitch, the majority of them have some kind of a, a sidearm or three-quarter. Not many yeah. of them go from over the top. So it's unique to to a lefty pitcher. So, I mean, I'm excited for the kid. He seems like he's got the makeup for, for a guy that doesn't get rattled either. I just want to warn people a little bit. He may get sent down for a start because the Yankees have two off days. It's stupid. The Yankees have an off day on Thursday and then an off day on Monday. So if they want to keep their pitchers on five days rest, they might have to skip Montgomery. And if they don't want him to have two weeks off, they might send him down for one start. Uh, But I think he'll be back. I think he's earned that much. Oh, there's no doubt he's definitely going to be the guy that's that's going to be you know landed in that fifth starter for the foreseeable future. I mean, he's done nothing to earn a demotion. I mean, if you're talking about a couple off days and just some kind of a, a roster maneuver, that that may be something. But um, he certainly has not earned any kind of demotion. And Girardi talks in, in glowing terms about him as well. Yeah. And who knows? That might not happen because, you know, the Yankees like to give Tanaka an extra day where they can. Right. Severino followed up. Montgomery's performance on Tuesday with a, with a dominant performance. He just ran up against Miguel Gonzalez, who looked like Greg Maddox. It was ridiculous. He absolutely shut the Yankees' bats down, who had been rolling and couldn't hit for for uh, Tuesday night. Had four infield singles off of him. They didn't get the ball out of the infield off of him. And then the next night, Wednesday, they're hitting bombs all over the field again. So whatever Gonzalez was throwing, clearly the Yankees couldn't hit. I'm glad we can just chalk it up to as, oh, he had a great night and the Yankees bats went silent and it wasn't a sign of things to come, it seems. Yeah, and he's been kind of a pain in the ass. Even when he back dating back when he was an Oriole, he was kind of a pain in the ass for the Yankees. For some reason, he's he pitches well at Yankee Stadium. But the you know, we're looking at Severino and what he was doing and and the stuff that he had and like how dominant he looked all the way up until boom, that one home run. Similar to Montgomery in the sense that you know, they, they had one letdown where, I don't know if they let their guard down, they floated a pitch at a bad time, whatever it was. The line is not really indicative of what the, uh, you know, what the performance was. Granted, there was no run support, but it, feel, it felt like that, that home run that he gave up almost uh, took the wind out of, the, uh, out of his sail. You could see it all over his face. He was very disappointed in that. But, I mean, the stuff, dominant, dominant, dominant stuff, throwing 98, movement all over the place. The slider was filthy. Yeah. He didn't throw the changeup very often again, but he threw it, uh, you know, a handful of times to show it. It's just, uh, he's got good stuff. And it, and we, we talked about this with Severino. If he has the confidence to back that stuff, then you're going to see some really, really good starts. And he's going to be a guy who has, you know, he's got top of the rotation stuff. People are blaming Pete Cosma for that error in the seventh inning for Severino giving up the home run. And obviously, if Cosma turns that double play, then we're never in the situation for uh, Garcia to hit the home run. But you also have to blame Severino in the sense that he hung a a flat slider in the middle of the plate. So, I mean, and Cosma does have to make that play. He's on this team for one reason and one reason only, and that's to make plays in the field. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean... That's that's your job. That's a it was a tailor made double play. It was a piece of cake, and he completely blew it. And it was obvious that so it affected Severino. I mean, it was it was a it was a it was a strange play because Cosmo makes that play you know ten out of ten times usually. So it's it was it was odd. It's it's one of those things that it's it's alarming though because Didi is so sure handed, and I know he's coming back. We have a couple injury updates, but. 
Cosmo is one of those players that is, is just a, a stopgap for the time being. Um, Severino's final line on the night had 10 Ks in eight innings. He now has 27 strikeouts and only two walks on the season. So those numbers are phenomenal. One little stat that might get you a little worried, and actually somebody tweeted me this, uh, at DJ Captans 96 tweeted that, I know it's a small sample size, but eight of the 10 Severino runs that he's allowed have been on home runs. So if we're just playing, again, devil's advocate to Severino, that is a little bit of a concern. Yeah, and, it, and maybe it's showing what the approach is also from the opposing team is they're just waiting for that mistake and, and pouncing on it. So it's happened a few times and I mean, it happened quite a bit last year when he was not good, when he was, when he was bad Severino, which I don't even know how that guy exists with the stuff he has. It's, it's pretty insane to see how, how, how much he struggled after that. But yeah, I, the majority of the, of the series of the start, he's dominant and he's got to polish up those, those mistakes. His mistakes can't just can't be that big. They got to be smaller mistakes. You know what we see with Tanaka, right? Tanaka's usually if he's given up a home run, it's usually a solo shot. Usually. Did the uh, almost comeback on Tuesday with Judge up and the bases loaded get your blood flowing because it got mine? Yeah. Oh, I was going a little bit. You know, when that walk happened, and uh, I was going for Holiday. I was really hoping Holiday was going to get that pinstripe Giambi moment. You know, and I was real. I could see it in my head, and unfortunately, it didn't happen. Um, but yeah, it, it just as easily could have happened with Judge too. And it was, was not was not supposed to happen there. Flashbacks of D. Rob blowing that save in Jeter's final game. Yeah, definitely. His mannerisms are annoying, by the way. I I remember thinking that now. Robertson. Yeah, like after he throw, after he pitches, like the way he finishes. I don't know. It's, it's something about his like his mannerisms with his body language. It's annoying. I can't stand it. I was getting annoyed looking at him, and I was remembering how I used to get annoyed looking at him when he was on the Yankees. <laughs> Aaron Hicks just went deep, by the way. So everyone's getting into the party. Gotta love it. Headley is, uh, he's now batting second. And I can't even argue with it (laughs) because he's, like we said, on base percentage over 500. He he has rendered you silent. You can't say anything bad about him right now. You can't. You can't do it because there's nothing bad. He's been so freaking good. When Sanchez returns, <laughs> I think he's going to leave Headley in the two spot as long as he's hitting. But I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, if, if I don't know. I'm out of things to say about Headley. It's taken three weeks, but he's still hitting, and I don't know. I did not expect it to last this long. If Headley is hitting, is is hitting? I mean, not like he is right now. Let's say he's hitting 300, because you know, that's. That's a that's like a basement for 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 Headley this year, but let's just say he's hitting the ball well and he's in that two spot, and that the construction of the lineup then becomes more, way more powerful when you can act, when you can put Sanchez you know in the three or four spot. I mean that that's that's just making your lineup so much better if you have a productive hitter who's not any of the guys that we've spoken about at number two. It really changes the 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 scape of the the scope of this lineup. It really does. It does, especially because we expect Bird to continue. He broke out of the slump Sunday and then, of course, peaked Girardi. He did not play him on Monday. And I know Derek Holland is a lefty, but Derek Holland is not Randy Johnson. I think Greg Bird can play, especially after he finally broke out of his slump with a three-hit performance. Uh, But when Bird starts hitting more consistently, I think he had a double on Wednesday, then... He's that's also another another factor here. Yeah, definitely. But 
again, I don't think Girardi is uh, Girardi's not pressing to put any of these guys in a certain spot at this point. I think that's becoming very obvious. He's gonna he's gonna shuffle things around for what's happening and what's working because there's a lot of guys that can that can hit in different positions. I mean, it's 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 becoming very apparent that there's no set lineup that Girardi has to go with. Good. Like we're, not tied, we're not tied to Mark Teixeira and Alex Rodriguez and Beltran and McCann who have to sit, hit in certain spots in the lineup. It's great. Exactly. Right. It's and, perfect. I mean, that's and that's where Girardi will hopefully excel because this is his type of uh, his team. We're getting closer to Didi returning. He's playing rehab games on Friday, so we could see him back as soon as the end of April. And we're getting closer to Sanchez returning. He said he feels good, and he started actually throwing the ball today on Wednesday, yesterday, as you're listening to this. So we're close to those two guys getting back. And at the beginning of the season, I think you and I ranked as far as the Yankees' most important position players, Sanchez number one, Bird number two, and Didi number three. So the Yankees are playing well without their number one and number three most important players going into the season. And could you have possibly imagined something like that? Something when we're talking about... No, I would have said they're absolutely screwed. (laughs) <laughs> when we're looking at the injuries and the fact that we we're, we're missing our, our starting catcher and who's a, an all world talent, who's the face of the franchise and our, our starting shortstop who had, you know, a career year and is, is, you know, poised to hit 20 home runs, play gold glove defense. And, you know, we're doing well. We got a guy like toe who's coming in and just filling in with no issues. We got a guy who Romine who's hitting, you know, three thirty with some power and playing phenomenal defense. It's unbelievable. This team is deep. You know, we thought the the spring training was was an anomaly because of the uh or, or the reason they were winning so much was because of the deep organization. Well, it, it's very it's very apparent now that the team on the major league level is also deep. This is I'm getting too excited for this. I, I don't even know where when's the sky going to fall because I don't see it. Do you want do you want some bad news to bring you back down, back down to earth a little bit? Sure. The Yankees had to place Glaber Torres on the DL with biceps tendonitis. And he was off to a horrendous start in double A after the amazing spring, which that might be reason why he, he had bicep tendonitis. Both him and Sanchez with bicep injuries. Kind of weird. Yeah. And that's the third guy who's had a phenomenal spring that, that started off extremely slow. I mean, we, we got Tanaka, Bird, and Glaber Torres lighting it up in spring training and then coming out of the, into the season and just, you know, laying an egg immediately. But Clint Frazier too, who we talked about Frazier, yeah. with, uh, with Shane coming up. So hopefully this is something that he could just get past, but yeah, that's not great news. You know, hopefully it's uh it's just some, some, some tenderness. <laughs> is that, is know. that, hold on. Is that not what you want? That is not what you want. <laughs> okay. But, but at least we have, we have, this is a good time for that to happen at least. Because we're good right now. I guess if you know, there is get a healthy, time, baby. Yeah, get if there, healthy. If there is a time for that, then then I suppose that would be it. Okay, uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on because this is kind of one of those baseball stories that happens that you kind of just shake your head and smile. And Ichiro hit a home run at Safeco Field today, and it's probably going to be his last at bat at at Safeco. We don't know if he's going to retire anytime soon, but. That is one of those things that other sports don't have where you just get these weird baseball moments like Ichiro in his last at-bat hitting a home run at Safeco Field or Jeter in his last at-bat at Yankee Stadium driving in the winning run. Stuff like that does not happen in other sports. 
Yeah, there's a lot more opportunities, I think, too, for baseball. And there's just that nostalgia and, you know, feeling around baseball for whatever reason. Because it's been around, it's America's pastime. It's got all these uh, the, these storybook endings. And I think there's a there's a stage for it more, more so in baseball than there is in other sports. Granted, there's a shit ton more games, too, for those things to happen. But, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. I mean... You know, you got to look at the player too, and the player has a lot to do with these type of things. Like these guys are playing for so long that that are you know they're giving themselves the ability to be put in situations like this. So it's pretty cool. Good for Ichiro. As I said, we have Shane Hennigan from the Rail Riders. He's the beat writer for the Rail Riders for the Scranton Times Tribune. Coming up, we did about twenty minutes with him, so stay tuned for that. If you want to get in touch with us, follow the show at Yankees Podcast on Twitter. My handle is at Andrew underscore Rotondi. Scott's is at Scott Reinen. Submit mailbag questions at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. We're going to be doing mailbags on the next show, so please send those in and make them good. Scott, any last words before we get out of here? New streak starts tonight. Let's close this game out. Starts with one on the road to uh, more than eight. I'm loving it. We now welcome onto the podcast Shane Hennigan. He is the beat writer for the Rail Riders for the Scranton Times Tribune. You can find him on Twitter at RailridersTT. Shane, thanks for doing this. Hey guys, thanks for having me. It's been, I feel like the Yankees farm system has gotten a lot of attention in recent, uh, really the last year after all the trades happened, and especially with uh, the Rail Riders winning the championship. How has the buzz been around the team this year? Um, people are you know, pretty excited, you know, after you know, they win the championship last year, not just the international league championship, but the, you know, the triple a championship. And, uh, I mean, the, the buzz is certainly there, especially with, you know, the, the Yankees seem to be really committed to this youth movement, so to say. So, and they're really putting an emphasis on their, on their minor league uh, system. So, I mean, you got the top three guys in their order right now, Tyler Wade, Clint Frazier and Justin Fowler are all 22 years old. And then you got, got guys coming up, obviously, Labor Torres, guys like Justice Sheffield, Jorge Mateo. So, I mean, the, the buzz is certainly there. And it's, it's, it's really weird if you think about it. Just go back a couple of years ago when the Yankees were really just, you know, still focusing on trying to get the top guys and willing to pay whatever to get them. It's, it's definitely a different landscape of the team with the youth. Now, in Scranton, when you guys are when you guys are home for a stretch, are you seeing, is attendance up? Like you're talking about the buzz, is it physical? Are they getting more people coming to the stadium to watch these guys too? Uh, April is kind of hard in Northeastern Pennsylvania just because the weather is so hit and miss. Um, So on opening night uh, last Monday, yeah, last Monday, they had uh, 11,515 fans, which was a, uh, Yankees era record for PNC Field that dates back to 2007. <laughs> um, and then the next six games, they didn't get above 4,000. Um, but that's just, I mean, there's there's a lot going on with you know high school sports, uh, uh, little league starting up, everything like that. But uh, come come summertime, like once the weather starts to turn for good, uh, you'll start seeing a spike in attendance for sure. Like we were saying earlier, they won the entire AAA championship last year. How much stock do you actually put in winning a AAA championship? Because to me, it always, I always wondered, like, some of the guys got September call-ups, so the players who were there for the entire time didn't even play during the most crucial time. Um, I think it's important. 
Uh, just because I, I think for a, for young kids, I think it's important to learn how to win. Yep. So, for instance, you get a you get a guy like guys like Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, who are going to be you know vital parts to the Yankees this season, um, and and they found success at the lower level last year. I, I think that carries over, and you know these guys can look at okay, you know we we know what it takes. Um, I mean, it's not going to be easy, but if if we could have success uh, at the minor leagues, why can't we have success at the at the major leagues? And then they know it's not going to be as they know it's never going to be easy, but they have something to revert, revert back to. So I, I think in a way it, it it helps, especially too, knowing from you know coaching standpoint, they have to try to balance you know developing these top guys, but then also you know they, their main objective. The, well, one of the objectives is to go out and win every night. You don't want to go out there just you know just to go out there and play nine innings and go home. So I, I think by learning you know how to win at the lower levels, I think that can definitely translate to the to the big leagues as well. It also seems like a lot of these guys have a really good chemistry. And when you're in a playoff hunt, no matter what the level you are, you find out different things, I think, about teammates. And, you know, you guys, the guys gel a little bit differently, especially when they start winning and, uh, you know, a championship and even at double A AA and triple A. And I think you're seeing that as these guys are progressing and moving up through the ranks and into the Bronx. Now, there's a there's a few of these guys who have gone through the majority of the system together and have won together. And like you said, that culture is starting now in the minor leagues. It was not that way, you know, five, six years ago at all. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was a completely different atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, granted, nobody wants to be in the minor leagues, but you really didn't see, you know, any sulking from, from players that were maybe, you know, sent down from New York last year. Um, these guys really like playing with each other. And I, I think you got to credit Al Padrique and his staff, um, you know, he, he'll, he'll tell you, you know, there was a good mix of, you know, veteran leadership and, and, you know, young prospects. And I think the veterans really kind of took these prospects under their wings and kind of showed them the way. Like I, I remember last year um, I'm standing in the clubhouse and Ben Gamble came walking in. It was just, it was a couple of days after he got sent down and Nick Swisher kind of, you know, led a, a standing ovation, so to say. So just, but just uh, like stuff like that, I think, you know, really helps, you know, build that chemistry. And, you know, like I said, with the, with the veterans that they had, I, I think it, it goes a long way to showing them, you know, how to conduct yourself as a professional, both on and off the field. Scott just touched on sort of the, the vibe of the team and the leadership that some of these players were showing. And I feel like Aaron Judge has shown extreme poise. I mean, we've joked that he kind of even sounds like Derek Jeter in interviews uh, that he's giving at the big league level now. But he's no longer down in Scranton. Are, is there anyone that's standing out? Maybe um, one of the high-level prospects like Frazier, or is it one of the more lesser-known guys that's maybe standing out as a leader? Um, I like what I've seen so far from Tyler Wade. Uh, he's gotten off to a good start, especially hitting from the from the leadoff spot. Um, he's, he was hovering around the 400 mark when uh, after the home stand on Sunday. Uh, Frazier's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start, but I don't, I don't put too much stock into that just because it's so early in the season. Um, right now it's, it's, it's kind of hard to tell who's the, the leader of the team, so to say. Um, but I, I think as you know, the season is, you know, the next couple of weeks go on, you'll have a, you'll have a better understanding of, uh, of who might emerge. 
When you're talking about Clint Frazier and the fact that he was off to a, a, a slow start, and it looks like actually a lot of the guys have been off. Ref Snyder isn't hitting. Um, Dustin Fowler looks like he was, he's was he been off to a slow start. Wade's killing it, like you were said. He's, I think he's, uh, when I looked, it was at 442, and he's stealing bases at the top of the, top of the, uh, the lineup. What is, your, what is your impression looking at and watching Frazier play every day, you know, this year and then even back into the end of last year? What are your impressions of, of him as a baseball player and then you know, him as a, as a guy? Um, I mean, I think he could play. Uh, I don't – he's only 22 years old. Uh, he's, last year was his first AAA experience, and, you know, it, as, as we all know, it, it didn't go so well. And, I mean, I remember talking to him at the end of the year, and he said that it was just, it was just a mental grind for him, you know, given going from – uh, one organization to the next, and then with all these expectations, and you know, this year I, you know, every everyone knows, you know, the the big story that was surrounding him in spring training, whether it was fair or not, that just it's just the way it was. But I, I think you know he came in wanting to to prove that he was the guy, and you know he wanted to really make a name for himself, himself especially for how big that trade was, and I think that pressure got to him a little bit. Um, Right now, uh, I know he hit his first home run last night down in Louisville. Um, so, I mean, that could be possibly the start to, to get him going. But I, I don't re- I'm not really too concerned about slow start uh, April. It's just it, it, there's just so much that could happen, you know, in the early in the season that, you know, it, to, to me, it's, you know, let's, let's wait it out and, you know, see. Now if, now if he's struggling in, in June, June or July, then, you know, maybe we start, you start getting some concerns. But right now, I, I think he's going to be fine. You kind of touched on the story in spring training and it, you're talking about it, his, him having to cut his hair. And then mm-hmm. right after the season started, Susan Waldman said that thing on WFAN about him wanting Mickey Mantle's number, which is came out to just be bullshit. And it was just kind of something she <laughs> exaggerated for whatever reason. But we actually had Fraser on the podcast last, at, uh, last November, and he seemed like a really nice down to earth kid. Like you said, he's only 22 years old. So yeah. How is he handling? I mean, he's getting so much media attention for someone mm-hmm. who has not done anything in the big leagues yet. How is he handling that? Um, well, like you touched on, you said you had him on your podcast. You know, I've, I've talked to him a little bit, and I, I don't think he's a bad guy. Like, I, I think he's, you know, a decent person. He's, he's nice to talk to. We, uh, I talked to him down in spring training, uh, right, right after he got, uh, probably about two or three days after he got cut. I was over at the minor league complex and. We had a nice, you know, 15, 20-minute conversation, um, just not just about, you know, work-related stuff, but just, you know, life in general. And it's just, you almost, like with the Susan Waldman stuff, you, you almost feel bad for him in a way because, yeah. like, he didn't bring the, he didn't bring that on himself. Um, like you said, the story came out to be bogus. So he's got to deal with that, too. And, and you know, it, it, it's like, it's just not... To me, it just—it doesn't compare to the kid. I mean, he's 20, like I said, he's 22 years old, and I'm thinking back now, like he should be a senior in college. I mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that did stupid stuff when they were, you know, seniors in college. So yeah, it just so happens that it just so happens to be that he's uh, he's playing for an organization that's you know arguably the most successful in the history of sports, and it's you know the scrutiny is going to be there one way or another. So um, I I think he's I think he's you know he, he's handling it well. He's he, he wants the focus to strictly be on the field, so he knows uh, in the end if if he performs the way that you know so many people think he can, then you know everything else will take care of itself. And like you said, the scrutiny coming from a lot of the New York media, I mean, it almost seems 
It does seem unfair. It seems unwarranted almost to a point where, they're, you know, they're looking for things to to point out in this kid. And I, I kind of attributed it to early on when he first got here. He, he was really aggressive on Twitter, was really active, was doing a lot of, you know, things that were not very Yankee-like, quote-unquote. And I think a lot of the, mm-hmm. you know, the old-school media kind of harped on that and then just, you know, almost a, a target was put on this kid and they were looking for things at, the, at that point. And like you said, I mean, even the hair thing, I mean, he cut his hair when he got here. It was two team standards, and then he did it again. And the whole number thing that was just overblown. It's just so crazy how how you know some of these things were really non-issues and non-stories that became something for no reason. Yeah, I mean, it's just like we live in, you know, the, the generation that we live in, like it's it's very, you know, social media savvy. So, I mean, to say that, a, I mean, this is just, this is just my point of view. I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I mean, to say what a, a kid, you know, does on Twitter or Instagram or whatever is is wrong is to me it just doesn't doesn't seem right. It, but I mean, I I think that's going back to it's you know when you think of the Yankees, you think of this you know you know very you know professional organization. They do things their way, and uh, I I think that's what kind of you know turned some people off by him is because he was going out and maybe doing things that were considered brash by the by the Yankee standards and. I think that's what I think that's why you know some people don't necessarily you know like some of the things that Clint does, but like like I said, just from you know from my experience with him, I I, I don't think he's a bad guy. I I think he's, he's genuine. He I think he you know knows that he he wants knows what he wants in this game. I, I think he respects the game. Um, I when I first heard that story about the Mickey Mantle thing, I I found it very hard to believe just because I don't I don't think anybody would. You know, especially a guy who's never played one major league game would, would you know, can ask for you know one of the greatest Yankees in history his number. Also, so no I, one would I, be I, that I, stupid to think they would unretire a number. Like yeah. it's just common sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's like I said, it's just one of those things that you know, and then you find out a couple hours later that it's not true, and you know, it's it's through it's through no fault of his own that he has to go through go through another you know controversy, so to say, when you know he it's it's not even controversy that he's starting and it's just, it just makes it, you know, another obstacle that he has to overcome. But I, I think if he, like I said, if he performs on the field that, you know, he'll come out, you know, a better player and a person uh, through it all. Yeah. And at this rate, it's not going to be the last controversy this season for Frazier. I think really, like, it's just people have a target on him for, for better or for worse. I want to ask you about Tyler Wade, you, we said he's he's hitting the ball really well, over 400 stealing bases. He almost made the team as the utility guy out of spring training. And Pete Cosman really has not been off to a good start. He made a huge error last night that killed the Yankees. Uh, do you think Wade is closer to the to the major leagues, um, or is he going to be in Scranton for a while this season? I think he'll spend uh, the majority of the year in Scranton. Um, I just think that the Yankees would rather give him the the everyday at bats. Uh, everyday playing time because um, I mean like Frazier he's only 22 years old he hasn't this is this is uh what his second week in above double a so I I don't think there's a need to rush him especially with D.D. Gregorius coming back uh in the next couple of weeks I think I just saw he's starting his rehab assignment for camp on Friday so I mean I don't I don't think you need to bring up Wade unless you know there's another injury um that would really you know you know, need, you would need him. I, I think you're better off letting him play the majority of the year here in Scranton. And then if, you know, maybe something comes on along maybe August or September, maybe you give him that chance. 
But in terms of bringing him up, just to bring him up, uh, I don't I don't think that would be right for his development. Has he been playing shortstop primarily, or have they been moving him around similar to what they did in spring? Yeah, so uh, primarily shortstop. Uh, he played he's played a couple of games at second base. Um, I expect that to to change at some point. I, I expect him to to get some outfield like they uh, like they he did in the Arizona Fall League and in, in spring training as well, and then maybe even some third base. Um, I, I just think they really want to see what you know how this kid could handle um, playing multiple positions, and I, I think he's got the poise to to handle it. And I'll, I remember talking to, to him down in spring training, uh, probably about a couple of days before he eventually was sent down to the minors. Um, he was saying he felt comfortable at you know multiple positions. Uh, yeah, it, it takes some getting used to it first, but he, he he's he to me he just seems like a confident player, and, and you know he feels like wherever they they stick him in the field, he feels like he can get the job done. He does exude confidence, I think. we uh, He's another guy we had on the podcast, and we definitely got an air of confidence from him in a good way, certainly in a good way. Mm-hmm. Speaking of multiple positions, what the hell are the Yankees doing with Rob Refsnyder? <laughs> uh, that seems to be a question that a lot of people want to know. I mean, it, it's crazy to think that you know, this is his fourth year with the Rail Riders, and given uh, given the way he kind of came up and how much fans you don't really wanted to see him, and even you know, thinking back to the wild card game in 2015 when he was a starting starting second starting second baseman, like <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it's just crazy to think that he goes from that to uh, and now he's you know currently stuck in AAA. Um, but he's he's played uh, he's I think he's played four positions at the moment: third, second, first, and then uh, right field so far for the Rail Riders. Um, so I mean, I, I just think you're going to keep seeing that um, until. The Yankees either, you know, they want to bring him up, or if they could, you know, get something in the trade. Uh, to me personally, I, I think he's being tribute to the Yankees. I don't think he's as terrible as a defender as some make him out to be. I don't think he's great by any means, but I think he's good enough to get the job done. And I think he's a good hitter. I, I think he, you know, he's not gonna he's not gonna hit 20, 25 home runs, but I, I think he's gonna, you know, do enough to to get on base, drive some runs in. I think he'd be an asset to the Yankees. It's just, you know, whether whether they think that is obviously the what matters the most. Are you sure you haven't been listening to our show for two years? Because it sounds like you're uh, you're on the same level as, as both of us. Yeah, that's something that we've talked about. I mean, his defense. You know, even when you're looking at him when he was in the majors, there was there was nothing you know that was that was so terrible that they that all talked about like that his defense was not ready. I mean, the guy played a a, a pretty good second base. Um, he's a natural outfielder. He plays a good right field and was thrown into the fire at first and and actually handled it pretty well in my opinion. So. Um, it, it seems like he and Wade are very similar players in, in the way that the Yankees look at them. But from what you're saying, if, if, you know, if Tyler Wade is the guy that they want to develop further and to stay down there, it seems like if there was a, a, you know, a spot open for a utility guy coming up to the majors, it would be Ref Snyder rather than Wade. Yeah, I mean, I think Ref Snyder is obviously more ready just because I mean, he's, I mean, he's been there. He, he knows what it, it takes. But when talking about Wade and Ref Snyder, the difference is that Wade plays short and Ref Snyder doesn't. Right. So that's what I think. Also, that's what I think ultimately hurt um, Ref Snyder this spring when they chose Pete Cosma. Yeah, Pete Cosma's not really gonna, isn't gonna, it probably isn't gonna hit. But I mean, his ability to play short is obviously what the Yankees needed, and I don't, I don't think Ref Snyder could have filled that void. But for me, I'm interested to see, you know, what the Yankees do if if they decide to keep him around, especially with you know, yeah, Glaber Torres and possibly Jorge Mateo coming up through the ranks. Um, you know, what, what's that gonna mean for Ref Snyder if? if if they call, if they bring those guys up, and you know he's still there, and the Yankees haven't called him up to New York, that's uh, that's something I'd be interested to see. I, I think no matter what, if 
I mean, whether if he's still in Scranton, they're going to find a way to play him every day. I just think he's, I, I just think he's too good of a player just to be, you know, relegated to a, a utility guy in the minor leagues. And by utility, I mean like not play, like playing every other day, not getting those everyday at bats and you know everyday reps in the field. I, I think he'd he'd find a place somewhere. Somewhere. I just to me in the end, I just don't think he's as as bad or you know that some people make him out to be. Yeah. Jordan Montgomery's made two starts for the Yankees and he's actually looked really good, especially in his last start against the White Sox. Uh, are you surprised at all from the success he had? I mean, he kind of won the fifth starter job out of nowhere this spring. Yeah, no, um, I guess I'm, the, I'm not surprised by, you know, the, the results he's having. I guess I'm just kind of surprised that he was, I, to me, he went into camp as a little bit of an afterthought and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure every, a lot of people felt that way just because, you know, he, he wasn't this, a 40-man guy. He'd only pitched six or seven games at the AAA level. But I remember seeing him last year, and, I, and like, it, it, it was almost to the point where, you know, teams couldn't <coughs> – excuse me. Teams just couldn't hit him. Uh, he, I mean, he came in, and it's funny. His, actual, his AAA debut was last August 2nd, and it came in Lehigh Valley, and it happened to be Clint Frazier's organizational debut. It happened to be the same day Aaron Judge was coming off the disabled list, and it happened to be the same day that it happened to be the same same day that Gary Sanchez was getting called up to New York. So he kind of got lost in the in the shuffle a little bit. But we might look back that on started, that as a huge date in Yankees history. Oh, it was great! Like I, I'll I'll tell people if they ask me, you know, what's the what's the worst uh, you know day you've had on that job, and I'll tell them August second, just because of <laughs> August second, two thousand sixteen, just because of all the stuff that was going on down in Lehigh. But, uh, I mean, he was kind of like an afterthought. Nobody really talked about him. And he threw well. He threw six innings. I think he only allowed one or two runs. Um, he ended up taking the loss. But his next five starts after that, he threw 29 and two-thirds consecutive scoreless innings, which set a Scranton-Wilkes-Barre record that stood since 1991. So, <coughs> excuse me, he got a bad cough. But um, I'm not surprised by the success he's having. Um, he's a four-pitch guy throws the ball over the top and it makes it makes it real hard for hitters to pick up on so to see the success that he, he's having I mean it, it's pretty cool to think you know how how far he's coming how quickly he's come given that you know he only he was only in AAA last August so I mean it, it's pretty impressive and um, I'm uh, I'm excited to see if it, if it holds up going forward the other the other couple guys that were in the mix along with Brian Mitchell for that fifth spot were was uh, Luis Sessa and Chad Green both guys are in mm-hmm. AAA now what have you seen from them? It seems like you know, you're just looking at their numbers and not seeing them in person. They've they've both put up pretty good numbers. Do you see any uh, any pos- any more positives from them, or any sense of discouragement for not getting that fifth spot? No, um, I see. You know, I, I see some uh, positives from them. I remember talking to Luis uh, in Clearwater uh, the last week of spring training. He was pitching for the for the AAA team, and uh, I mean, he said it. You know, his performance. You know. It basically relegated. It, he basically deserved to to get sent down, and you know he's going to come down here and he's going to keep working. Um, that was his big goal, and then he had a nice outing on opening night last week. Um, he had an okay outing on Saturday, ended up taking a loss, but um, he knows what he knows. He has zero doubt in his mind that he's going to pitch in New York this year, and he's not saying that in a, in a cocky or arrogant way. It's just you know he's confident that he could correct the mistakes that he was making in camp and uh, get back up there. And Chad Green, I remember talking to him. Um, he actually he he took he started last Tuesday for the Rail Riders, which was supposed to be Jordan Montgomery's start. I remember talking to him after 
and he said that you know he he thought Jordan deserved it. Um, he wasn't disappointed or angry or anything. It's just it's just one of those things where you have to keep working and you know keep honing your craft. And I think both of them are doing that. And especially with the especially with the way the Yankees rotation is, I mean they've got health question marks as well as just performance question marks. I know they've been really uh, pitching really well on this win streak, but those guys will get time in the major leagues, like, like you said. Um, well, Shane, I think that's that's it for us. We definitely appreciate you doing this, and it should be a really fun season for you guys in Scranton, considering all the young guys, and like you said, the team's pretty good. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, um, I mean, we're getting underway now. Um, they're, they're five and six right now, but I don't really put too much stock into, uh, into April. I mean, looking back at last April, they finished the month 12 and 11 and then went on to tie the franchise mark for most regular season wins in, in the franchise's history. So, a long season ahead, as we all know, in baseball, but uh, it should be exciting and look forward to it. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. All right. No problem. Anytime, guys. Keep doing Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.